to Unleashed, Unchained and Unapologetic. Just to remind us to who we are and what we're about, we're humble, driven allies and leadership advocates who are obsessed with supporting leaders to stand up and step up so that the workplaces of today and tomorrow truly work for all. Everything we do supports you to lead and to shift the status quo forever by taking one human step in a smarter direction. And it all starts and ends with you. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. It's, uh, yeah, episode 20, right? It is episode 20. We've had a little bit of time out for numerous reasons. Quite a lot of time out, but that's okay. We're here now and that's the main thing. Fighting back in 2024. Yes, exactly. Right. And so today, Elle, what are we thinking? Today's topic on uh, episode 20 is the heart and soul of financial growth and the return on human capital. Where do we begin? Over to you, Karen. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'll just catch that hot potato then. So, (laughs) well, let's start with a couple of things, I guess. Um, We've used some very businessy words in that title, Um, financial growth, return on human capital. I mean, I've got to say the phrase return on human capital kind of makes me laugh a bit because what are we really trying to say here? People. Yeah, it's all about people and When you hire somebody to do a job or bring them into your company, you are asking them to create value for you. That's the return part. But this whole human capital thing is about how much you're investing in them to do it. And a lot of people measure this by how much you're paying them and what they're bringing in in dollars and cents. But I would argue that return on human capital is is not just driven by the financial investment you make in somebody talking about this a moment ago. It's about the 360 investment you make in a person that motivates them to want to go the extra mile by choice. Absolutely. So you were talking a second ago about somebody you had a chat with yesterday or a couple of days ago who was onboarding somebody. And I think this is a really good thing to highlight that onboarding is often an area where value gets destroyed, employees get disappointed and disillusioned before they've really even stepped through the door. They start to question what they're doing and why. And their motivation can be affected. So tell I'd, I'd love you to sort of share what you were sharing with me about how yeah. companies doing it differently. And and I always think onboarding is it should be a little bit like uh dating. You know, at the end of the day, that first impression is you only get how many seconds to make a first impression. And I think you can absolutely have somebody coming on board to your company with excitement, with energy, with great energy and willing to give 100% when you give that back. I think it's behavior breeds behavior. I have recently come across a colleague who has been onboarded into a remote role. Um, and, you know, to quote her, it was a bit of a risk for her. It was a, a risky move, but she she went into this because of the way in which she was treated by the people and what their value system was. And the thing that struck me about this particular company is from the moment she accepted the offer, they uh, worked around her. They gave her a call to check in, make sure, tell her she was. They were really excited about her starting. Made sure she had all the right equipment uh, to suit her needs, um, and could were bending over backwards really. And I thought, what an amazing first impression to give somebody going into a company. That speaks volumes to me. Because we often, uh, it's interesting how in the world of power, we often 
employees are often worried about the first impression they create with the company they're joining. And I've noticed over the years that less time is spent by companies thinking about the impression they're creating with their employees and not just around joining, but in an ongoing sense. Um, and I think for me, the other thing about onboarding that's interesting is onboarding can be a bit like the day, first day of school. You know, you rock up and it's like, this is my start date. And from that moment onwards, the relationship starts. But the truth is, to go back to your analogy with dating, the dating process starts during the interview process. It starts from the first moment you have a contact point with the company and have a conversation. And so from that point on, it's really a two-way dating situation. Is this relationship going to go the distance? Are we going to choose to stay together and work together in the future in this particular case? And I think that's the key, working together. It's a two-way thing. Hmm. And so when we talk about return on human capital, I guess the questions are, what do, what do companies do well and not so well around this? How do com some companies manage to get better returns out of their people and how do some companies consummately fail to do that yeah. and and what levers can, can companies and leaders particularly in those companies pull to kind of increase their returns absolutely and I, and I and I think you know at the end of the day one thing like you always say Karen to quote you is businesses are just made up of people and if you look after your people and you work with your people and treat people as humans with great respect, as you would want to be treated yourself, it's not rocket science. The sales usually look after themselves. Mm. And um, in my experience, I have seen lots of different companies across my career and, you know, micromanagement, fear-led businesses always results in destroyed value, always results in high fast turnover staff, always results in leaving money on the table yeah i think that that's the thing that i notice most and in and in the end it is down to the leaders in the business the leaders in the business are the ones who create the environment in which you know value gets created or value gets destroyed end of story so if we have to think about you know how can leaders approach this so that they maximize their return on human capital why don't we kind of throw out a couple of things that we've seen or beliefs that we have around that to support the leaders, any leaders that are listening, to think about this differently. And then we can do it from the employee side, how to get what you want. Mm -hmm. So what do we think? I mean, I think you just highlighted the notion of micromanaging. So this is a kind of what not to do. So I would phrase that in terms of what to do as when a leader is powerful enough, committed enough and support enough to stand back so their employees can stand up and deliver and if, if feel safe asking questions and getting the help that they need to deliver, then they will feel happier and more motivated. And the contrast, the contrast, of course, is when a leader does the opposite, they tell their employees what to do. They check in on them all the time. They bombard them with emails out of hours. They, they do all kinds of things that really give employees a sense of being controlled and not being at choice and not having agency. And there is pretty much nothing that demotivates an employee more than feeling like they don't have any choice. And it's exhausting. And actually, in my experience, um, those people then spend more time trying to prove, trying to justify, trying to be there than actually doing their job. And then they'll get blamed for that as well. So, so for me, I think, you know, trust is really important. I always have the mindset when I go into a company as a leader as, and I always say this to my colleagues and many 
many of my old wingmen that are listening to this will probably giggle, but you know, I always say trust everyone because it's the fastest way to realize who you can't trust, first of all, and also the fastest way to help others trust you. If you trust them, people will trust you. Behavior breeds behavior. And leaders really are there to be supportive, a mentor and, and a guide and to, to show direction and to take people on a journey. We're not here to tell them how to do it. You have to trust people to come. You know, you employ people with skills. Uh, there's a great Steve quotes, uh, Steve Jobs quote out there as well. You don't employ people and then great people and then tell them how to do the job. I, th I love that. And actually tapping into your your thing about um, trusting people until they show they can't be trusted. I mean, Mayor Angelo has got a whole bunch of, of quotes around this. You know, once somebody shows you who they are, believe it. But there's a that quote. Mayor Angelo, love it. So yeah, they... but, there's, but there's another one that really strikes, strikes me as part of the training that I did around leadership years ago is and it, it links to this notion of trust is showing everybody what 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 is called unconditional positive regard, which means making a fundamental assumption that people are acting from the best of intentions in Always. the best way that they can. Now, that might sound risky to some people because, you know, the automatic kind of fear and uncertainty and, you know, the fundamental trust question raises its ugly head pretty quickly. But the truth is that the more you approach people as if they're coming from a good place, the more they move towards coming from a good place. We're very affected by what's offered to us. And so when we create environments of fear or second guessing, or to your point, needing to prove yourself, people are wasting their time on the wrong things. They're not, they're not focusing on creating value, driving the company forwards, you know, creating excitement, asking good questions, looking for opportunities. They're focusing on making sure they don't get harmed. And they don't and get blamed. They don't get blamed, exactly. And so if a leader is creating an environment where people feel that they need to justify what they're doing, that is probably going to be a company that's leaving value on the table. Absolutely. If somebody is being invited to show what they're doing so that everybody can ask questions and move things forwards, there's a different energy to that. One's kind of explain, shame, blame, and the other one's kind of invite, open, question, grow. And they are polar opposites, but it's very easy for leaders under stress, to your point earlier, to lean into fearful behavior and controlling behavior that comes with that. So I think it's down to every leader to ask themselves a fundamental question. You know, where am I on this spectrum? When I deal with a person at work, do I automatically trust them? Do I, do I believe they're bringing their best game? Do I treat them as if they know what they're doing? Do I ask them questions versus tell them what to do? I mean, those are four really simple things to ask yourself as a leader. And if the answer to any of those questions is no, my question would be, what's driving you? Mm, what's going um, on? Yeah, are you in a state of stress? Are you in a state of fear? You know, and what impact is that having on your work? Because the truth is a leader that is in that state is destroying value and passing that value destruction onto the people that report to them. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is, and I'm really, really passionate about, and you'll have heard me mention this before, Karen, but I truly believe that it is our responsibility as leaders to bring up the next generation of great leaders to be better mm -hmm. and to do it, to do better. Because, and I know we've talked about this on a previous podcast, you know, 
the amount of amazing leaders that I have had in my career have been a handful. One hand, exactly one hand. And what differentiates the leaders that I've come across that I've found extraordinary was they had one thing in common, and that was the ability to stand back and get out of people's way. Just get out of people's way and trust that in the space they created people. I think the phrase in Gladiator was a leader will rise. Yes. That when you create the space, a leader will rise. And so really great leaders don't spend all their time trying to grow leaders and being proactive about it. They create space and they nurture leaders. There's very different energy to it. Um, mm. And I can see you smiling because I know that both of us, when we think about the great people we've worked with, it's just like happy place, right? Oh, it's not even work. It's, it's exactly. fun. Exactly. Um, it's, it's really great fun. And I think, you know, when you can get up in the morning and jump into work because you're really looking forward to seeing the team you work with and you're looking forward to the challenge, it shifts the whole energy. It's something that drives momentum. It drives up a great performance state. And when people are having that Sunday night feeling of going, oh, yeah, that's really not a good encourage sign. People, really encourage people to, to delve in and say, what's that about? Yeah. And why am I doing it? Why am I continuing to do something that has that impact on me? I, I It leads me to a book that I read over a couple of weeks ago called Quit, which is about, it's not just about jobs. It's it's by Andreaker and it's about how we keep doing things and destroying value when we know we're destroying value, but we can't seem to stop. And she became a professional gambler and made a lot of money. And there was one thing that really hit me in the book she said that professional gamblers only play 15% of their hands, right? That means 85% of the time they're choosing to fold and not do something rather than act and do something. And I sort of looked at that through the lens of, well, that's, that's, she said, you know, you can tell a professional gambler because they do that and less professional gamblers just play far more hands. But it's that knowledge about when to not act, versus to step in and that's really what it really hit me between the eyes because it's such a small percentage I mean think about it they spend most of their time at tables not playing poker interesting right and yet winning it's just a decision about whether to play or not play um, and you know you know something I was um I completely agree with that and and what you've just reminded me of something a good friend of mine sent me a podcast and we often send podcasts backwards and forwards because I love a good podcast um, and there was a podcast, it was a Fern Cotton broadcast, actually, Happy Place. And it was with a lady called um, Bronnie Ware. And what she was talking about was she's spent most of her life working with people on their deathbeds. Mm. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the one thing that people talk about in their final moments is the things that they regret they didn't do. And, you know, wish they hadn't worked so hard. Now, if you're working hard and having fun so it enriches your life, I'm all for that. But if you're working so hard to survive and make a living with no joy and nothing that adds value to the greater dimension of you as an individual and being in your present self, then you've got to ask yourself, why? There's a fantastic book that I've only seen the title of yet. I haven't yet bought it called The Man Who Mistook His Job for His Life. <laughs> and I just love, I mean, I have to get the book because I love the I think I should have read that a few years ago. I work with so many senior leaders who in their 40s and 50s have got into that. My work, I mean, I made the same mistake myself. My work is- I did. And and what what is it? What is it that drives that? It's It's this desperate want, or in my case, wish to make 
something incredible happen. That my motivation work has always been growth, do it better, make it faster, and enjoy the process. Enjoy the process has always been part of my thing. But um, that's very dangerous because if you do enjoy your work, it can become your life. And that's a different kind of mistake that we probably won't dwell on too much here. The other thing I wanted to share was I had talking uh, about high-performing teams, which is kind of where we're going a little bit with this. I was really, really lucky about 10 days ago to have one of my ex-colleagues from McKinsey in London from the 90s share with me a video. And long story short, he left McKinsey, he went off and he was part of the team that created all the Costa coffee machines that are sitting in, wow. you know, service stations. It's an engineering team. They built this thing and it's the video was basically about the team and about what they did. But it was it was really for the team, by the team. And I, I got to see this video. And part of the reason was that Eric Achtman, who's the guy, and I um, organized an event while we were together at McKinsey. And it was a flow situation where you get into flow and, you, you know, you just do it and everything falls. Oh, I love being you trying? But this team, Project Marlow, I don't know how many people on the team, but you could. I just watched this video and I could just feel this energy between the team members of we're all pointing in the same direction. We know what we're doing. We're all experts. Everybody can be trusted. And I mean, the outcome that they achieved in a really short period of time was, well, I mean, everybody can see where the cost of coffee machines are. Incredible. That was it. And I, I think it was something ridiculously short, like six months from go to go in terms of the engineering process, because that team wasn't questioning, is anybody doing or not doing their job? They weren't questioning, you know, do I get along with that person? Like along with they were all about, we're going to create something incredible. And that for me is the magic of a business where a leader, I think to a large extent, Eric was one of the leaders on that, just abandons himself and allows people to do their jobs back to your point. And I know that, you know, one of the reasons we both work the way we do now is we've chosen to create that for ourselves because Absolutely. we've both worked in lots of environments where, you know, we haven't been able to do it quite as much. I've had some extraordinary experiences over the years where I have, but Again, it's a bit like the number of great leaders I've worked with, the number of experiences I've had of complete freedom to operate and just go make stuff happen and bring people along has been maybe on five, uh, five fingers of one hand or maybe some. You know, and I'm a great, you know, I'm a great believer, you know, those when you all stick together and you all work hard together, together being the word together, not above people, not below people together, because wow. nobody's more important than anybody else. It's just magical and it's hard, but it's almost enjoyable hard. And then when you make it and you do something great and you celebrate together, there's no better feeling. And actually, it's the journey that's the fun bit. The and journey is, getting there is the fun bit. And this is where the whole notion of a leader, I think, is completely foolish. Because if you look at the C-level team, you've got a whole bunch of chiefs. The truth about each chief is they've got a different responsibility and a different skill set, but they all matter equally, right? And it goes for every level in the organization. The janitor, the people who clean the offices and make sure everything's working are as important as the people who run the business because if the business is falling apart, the offices are crap, you know, people are not going to want to go into those spaces and, and give their best. So there are lots of ways in which leaders can influence, I think, people's, you know, willingness, excited, excitement and, and commitment to their businesses. And if you're worrying about whether your employees are committed, then my whole thing is it starts, it's time to have a long, hard look at yourself and ask yourself, what environment are I creating? If mm -hmm. my employees aren't committed, 
sorry, leaders out there, that's kind of down to you, not creating an environment where they feel they want to commit. Totally. And, you know, obviously I'm in a, in a marketing, I come, I'm in a marketing role, a marketing background. So, you know, I always talk about how brands are born from the inside out. And actually customers can feel. Yeah. It's really bizarre. Energy transmits and energies can actually feel. If you are saying you're these things, you better be acting and and, 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 and practicing what you preach every single day. And with the people that work for you, not just the exactly. people. Exactly. That's right? my point. Yeah. The people you work with you because it, emulates on the outside and customers feel it yeah so um it's the same principle i always say you know starts from the top down which it does everybody has a, a part to play don't get me wrong everybody has a responsibility in order to give but it really is shaped by the leadership team and brands are born from the inside out great brands truly great brands and you see it every day gymshark great example i'll give another shout out um huel another great example you can feel it at every step in that customer journey Exactly. And I bet if you spoke to every person and you can see on review sites because customers and um, people aren't daft, they go to review sites. And yes, there'll always be a handful of negative reviews. Of course, there will. But generally, there's always a theme. Yes. Generally, a string that connects throughout. Yeah. And, you know, you will always be able to tell a great company by how its employees speak about this company and how they talk about the values and how they feel part of something really special. And how they talk about their leaders and how they talk about their leaders. So let's ask, uh, let's uh, leave, leave. How do you want to be seen? Yeah, well, exactly. Let's leave today with the, the I think we've got a few questions to leave. Any leader yeah. out there that's listening to this, these are some questions to ask yourself around this. So Elle, take it away. Okay, so where is a poor relationship at work destroying value? That's question number one. So have a think about that. Second question is, what can you do to realign with that person and the third question is when will you do it because as you all know as part of this leadership series it's all about it starts and ends with you mm -hmm. so really you have to look within in order to understand you know as a leader what part are you playing in that and how can you change and what steps can you take today to make the workplaces of tomorrow a better place and the workplaces of today a better place yeah so just where is the friction and how are you going to take it out? It's that simple. Exactly. Because if there's friction inside, I guarantee. Friction outside. Friction outside. Fantastic. And that's it. Another great, listen, we'll be doing a lot more on this series uh, going yes. forward. We're, we're big, passionate believers of that. And, and, and ultimately, you know, we might all have different roles in the work environment, different specialist skills. But if you can come together with this common, these common values and come together with this common way of thinking, it's incredible um, what you can achieve. Um, so if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Thank you for all those people that have given us five star reviews, which is just phenomenal. And we're really, really grateful and glad that it's resonating with so many people. We've got plenty more to come this year. We apologize for taking a little bit of a break. We've all been in different parts of the country and lots of things been going on. I currently have a new puppy here who's driving me nuts and distracting me greatly, but we shall, we, we shall ignore that for now, but lots been going on, but we'll be um, continuing these podcasts into the, the future in much more um, regular way. So Karen, thank you so much for your invaluable advice as always. And I'm yours as well. Joint effort. Joint effort. <laughs> and we'll catch you on uh, episode 21. <laughs>